lovely to lovely to have you too Eden okay I think we're ready to start if that's all right with you Revenue Victoria sure okay so welcome everybody uh, to the new Springsman at Drisha. I think this is actually our first class of the newsman, and so we are so excited to introduce this class, Emotions in Halakha, with Rabbi Victoria Sutton. Just before we start, I'm going to give you our little uh, our little uh, Zoom and Facebook Live spiel. Um, as you come into the Zoom, I'm going to invite you to become a panelist. This just means that if you want to, you can turn on your camera so we can see your lovely smiling faces. And when Rabbanit Victoria invites comments or questions, you can unmute yourself um, to speak yourself. Um, so that'll just come up as a little invitation. You can click accept. Um, but if not, everyone is welcome to put their comments and questions in the chat. And I will uh, bring it to the Ravanit if she doesn't see it. And if you are joining us on Facebook Live, please put your comments and your questions in the Facebook comments and I will bring it to the Zoom. Um, we just ask that if you are speaking and you unmute yourself, that you mute yourself again when you are not speaking, just so we don't have too much background noise and everyone can hear each other. Um, and with that, a little introduction to the class. Okay, so um, emotions in halakha with um, the Jewish legal tradition has much to say about how we are to act. But what about how we are to feel? Do emotions, do emotional states in and of themselves have significance in halakha? In this course, we will explore this question, examining some common human emotions, such as uh, joy and shame in light of halakhic sources drawn from the Talmud through the response to literature. We'll also consider what somewhat more elusive emotional states that have implications in Jewish law, such as oneg, pleasure, um, sa'ar, pain, and yeshuv dat, peace of mind. Um, and we have the wonderful Rabbanit Victoria Sutton teaching this class a little introduction to Rabbanit Victoria Sutton. Um, Rabbanit Victoria Sutton teaches Judaic studies at the Heschel School. Prior to that, she served as Director of Education and Community Engagement at Congregation Beth Shalom, a modern Orthodox community in Berkeley. She was ordained through... Uh, Israel, Yeshiv sorry. No. Oh, sorry. Sorry. I, <laughs> I, probably a, a typo. I No, I misread that. That is totally my <laughs> fault. It says Beth Israel here. <laughs> Thank you so much for the correction. Um, she was ordained through Yeshiva Mahara in 2014, a graduate of Barnard College with a BA in Biological Sciences. She also holds a grand diploma of pastry arts from the French Culinary Institute. Wow. Um, Victoria sat on the board of Jewish Family and Community Services, East Bay, and prior to stepping into a clergy role, Victoria was involved in community organizations in New York City, focusing on homelessness, literacy, and sexual assault and domestic violence. Um, and with that, over to you. Thank you so much. Okay. Welcome, everybody. Um, thank you so much for the introduction and also the opportunity to um, teach this material. It's very near and dear to my heart, um, and it's material that I really enjoy teaching, and I'm looking forward to learning it together. Um, I just want to give another, I know Lena has uh, encouraged everybody, um, and I know maybe it's a, a busy time for you if you're eating dinner, or putting a child to sleep, sort of just trying to uh, relax and learn at the same time. 
um, as much as you want to be a panelist and be involved directly in the learning, that would be uh, wonderful, um, but happy to have you here in any capacity. Um, so as, as mentioned, Chazal um, or the sages of the Talmud were very, very interested um, in the human element of halacha, right? What it means for us as human beings who are embodied um, with the capacity for huge emotional ranges um, to live out a divine system of law, right? To live out the halacha. Um, so together we're gonna look at a number of halachic constructs um, that Chazal sort of created around our emotional state. Um, some of them, as, as was in the blurb, are going to be somewhat familiar, but we're going to see actually how did Chazal see these. Um, things like simcha, joy, um, busha, shame, um, ka'as, anger. So those we're going to look at in future weeks. Some of them are a little bit more elusive um, and perhaps even surprising um, that they're constructs. So for example, what we're going to look at um, tonight. Um, but emotions are an extremely important part of our um, halachic lives. Um, and um, not only as sort of like a side thing, but also as something that um, is often um, even mandated, right? That we should show up um, with a certain frame of mind um, or show up or try our best to sort of um, feel a certain way. So we're sort of gonna explore that and think about what does that mean, um, right? That because also I've expected that and how do we set ourselves up for that? Um, so we're gonna spend roughly one session on each of the contracts. Um, if folks are interested, happy to do uh, a deeper dive as, uh, as uh, requested, and you can always um, reach out with more questions. Um, okay, so to jump into our topic for tonight, some of you might have gotten the source sheet, and I know that it's in the chat. Um, we're going to be looking at the concept of Oneg Shabbat and also Tsar. Um, I'm not going to define them as of yet because we're going to work together to define exactly what these mean and how they impact us. Um, so suspend for a moment what you might know about Shabbat. So let's just approach Shabbat with that frame of mind. But what if I told you that once a week, there is a holy day for God? And the way in which this day is holy, is consecrated, is that we drop everything, right? all of our daily needs and cares, right? all of our activities that keep the human world going the rest of the week, for one day, we drop those. Um, right? From sunrise to sunset. A whole day to do nothing but be holy. Oh, and also, you need to enjoy the experience. It has to feel good. It has to be holy and it has to feel good. Shabbat is, as we're gonna see, mandated to be a pleasurable experience, um, which can, we'll discuss also, be somewhat of a challenge given right, our individual lives, what might be going on in our lives, um, our individual dispositions, um, and things that are not even in our control. Um, so what does it look like? Is that physical enjoyment? Is it spiritual enjoyment? Um, is it emotional uh, enjoyment? So that's what we're gonna look at tonight. And why did Chazal create or, or mandate this mitzvah Rabbanan, this rabbinic commandment um, of the holiest day of the week to be pleasurable and enjoyable? Um, if we think about for a second, um, our holiest day of the year, Yom Kippur, feels almost diametrically opposed to how Chazal pictures Shabbat. Right, our holiest day of the year in Yom Kippur, we sort of desist from any physical enjoyment. Our physical needs are almost like they don't exist. And sort of that's sometimes what we think of as a holy day. But rather, Shabbat seems to ask the exact opposite of us, to lean into our humanity, to lean into the things that make us feel good or put us in a good mood. 
Um, but also, of course, with the restrictions of um, maybe doing things um, to make that happen on the day itself. Um, so we're gonna um, we're gonna jump in um, and look at some of the sources together. Some of you might have the source sheets with you. If not, I'm gonna do some screen sharing and feel free to questions. Okay, jump in. Okay. Um, so the first quote here is from Heschel on his lovely book on Shabbat called The Sabbath. And Heschel writes, the seventh day is a palace in time in which we build. And so this requires work of us as individuals. They're automatically off the bat. It's an active process. It is made of soul, of joy, and reticence. In its atmosphere, a discipline is a reminder of adjacency to eternity. So that's a very big idea there um, by Heschel. Um, some of the pieces that stand out to me, and if you want to um, things stand out to you, feel free to put them in the chat. Um, right, that this is something that we build, um, that it's both very soulful, and there's a quiet to it, there's a reflective nature, but also that there's joy. Um, there's both discipline and joy. Right? And that is sort of the tightrope of Shabbat. Um, the sages Chazal created halachic parameter to sort of build this Shabbat atmosphere. How do we build this palace in time? If we look at the main source in Yeshayahu, and then we're going to jump into um, halachic sources after that. Im tashiv Shabbat oneg. So if you, we have two parts that we're going to look at. If you refrain from sort of stepping or trampling um, Shabbat, from pursuing your business or your affairs on, your, on my holy day, says God. And if you call Shabbat and Oneg, which is often translated as delight, but we're gonna discuss that more. Um, and also Mechubad, and you sanctify it and you honor it. And the way that you honor it is that you don't look into your affairs again, not into your matters. We sort of have this sandwich that I put below, right? On the one hand, we have, I put in red, the im tashiv, or there's a bunch of things that we refrain from besides even the malachot of the Torah, that maybe there's additional things that we refrain from on Shabbat um, that have to do with our own personal worries and cares or needs, um, the im tashiv part. And then there's a little of a karat on Shabbat on together. There's some positive or active things that we do to actually enjoy Shabbat. And that's a formula that Yeshayahu is putting out here that Hazel used. And if we do all of those things, as then, right, if you have both parts, the oneg and the desisting from our own needs, then Shabbat will itself be a delight. Tita and like God will make sure <laughs> that it's enjoyable or delightful for us. Now, does this mean physically? Does this mean now we go into some big spiritual language? So we're going to think about what is what does Yeshayahu mean here? And, how Chazal, um, how Chazal take it in what direction, right? And we will enjoy or eat literally our heritage. The Shabbat is uh, an inheritance that we have every single week um, and that it's actually we'll enjoy it. Meaning it's not so obvious that we're gonna enjoy Shabbat. Um, and the Isha is prescribing some actions here. Before we jump into some of the halachic texts, um, if you can share for a moment, thinking about this formula of Right, calling Shabbat Oneg or things desisting from. Maybe you can put a couple of things um, in the chat. Like what, what would that mean to call Shabbat a delay? 
And you don't have, doesn't have to be a big spiritual thing. It's some basic thing, right? We're all human beings. Many of us have experienced that all a Shabbat. What are some things that it means to call Shabbat pleasurable or delightful or that Shabbat feels good? Okay, so to do enjoyable activities, like specifically, so meaning anything that we do, we have to enjoy it while we're doing it. Okay, it's sort of like, it's a question of like, do we do things that we enjoy or that we should like have an attitude of enjoying what we're doing? Um, okay, so cooking special foods um, to eat, right? We're gonna look at food particularly as food can be, um, right? Different things are enjoyable for different people, um, but that's definitely something that the rabbis talk about a lot, um, right? Maybe it could be, um, could be different things for different people, right? Some people look forward to um, having some quiet, right? Turning off their phone, their email, right? So that's more of the info sheet. Maybe um, Shabbat is only because I can connect with myself, right? I have some time to take a nice walk um, or to read a book, um, right? So things that um, we might want to, um, can mean contentment. Uh, interesting, right? So Ali, thank you. We're gonna look at um, Simcha next week. And we're gonna think about what's the difference between Oneg um, and simcha, um, right? To be content, right? So content often means like I'm just happy with things the way they are. Like feel good, feel okay with things. That I feel like I'm in a good place, um, and that Shabbat sort of creates, um, or that we aim to have that um, on Shabbat. So thank you for those who shared, and we can see that we might have different for some people. Oneg Shabbat right, might be um, having a huge amount of food and a lot of people, and for some people it might be having a time to be quiet. Right, and those can both be oneg, and that's something that we're um, we're going to look at the subjectivity of this and how that's actually built into the halacha, um, and how that helps us really understand um, the concept of oneg shabbat. Um, we're going to look at a few sources from a few halacha from the Rambam in the Mishnah Torah Shabbat, and we're sort of jumping fast forwarding past the Talmud straight to the Rambam for a few reasons. Um, first of all, because we um, we kind of want to look at the halakha as it stands. Um, so looking at the codes of law is really helpful um, and able to sort of the Rambam is able to sort of pick out um, from the sections of what might impact practice um, over the years. Um, the Rambam also often just quotes the Mishnah or the Talmud, so you sort of get to learn a lot of the ideas when you learned it inside, um, but not exactly citing where it's from. So we get to really get familiar with the inside um, discussions. Um, and also because of the systematic way in which the Rambam lays it out, um, it's always really helpful, um, right, that the Rambam makes this section, um, we're going to especially chapter 30 towards the end, um, on the rabbinic laws. Um, so the Rambam really reads this out in a very helpful way. Um, so the first is from chapter 5. Um, which is about lighting Shabbat candles. People might be familiar with this idea, um, right? That lighting Shabbat candles is not actually so obvious that it's a mitzvah that we should say a bracha on. Um, and so the Rambam makes sure and other, um, right, other posting as well, make sure to remind us that it's not like something, if we feel like doing it, we do it. If we don't feel like doing it, we don't light it, um, right? But it's something actually we have to make sure to do before Shabbat starts, because we can't light a candle on Shabbat. Um, and men and women are obligated to have a light lit in their house on Shabbat, right? You can't go into Shabbat in a dark house. 
the fact that that requires them lighting candles with uh, with a bracha is something that Gita then has to right, then has to discuss further. Um, but going into Shabbat, um, sitting in a dark house, um, is not setting yourself up for an enjoyable Shabbat. Um, in any way. Even if he goes so far as to say, even if somebody doesn't have um, as much to eat, um, you should maybe scrimp a little bit on your food. Oil is very expensive there, but you should scrimp a little bit on your food um, so that you can make sure to light Shabbat candles. Why? Because this is part of what it means to have Oneg Shabbat. What does that mean that lighting candles is part of Oneg Shabbat? So I mentioned not being in a house. This gives us a sense that we want to set ourselves up to have Shabbat be pleasant and not feel um, that it takes forethought. Um, the Rambam in the next section will mention um, this as part of um, Kavod Shabbat, as honoring Shabbat. We're not going to get into honoring Shabbat as much. Um, but we'll look at the next, um, just to lay out Oneg in its context, that there are four things which um, right, were commanded for Shabbat, two right, four positive mitzvot of Shabbat, um, or four, four mitzvot of Shabbat. The, the Torah says, um, Zahor and Shemo. So Zahor is often understood as the positive, right, light of uh, Kiddush and Havdalah, right, remembering Shabbat. Then there's Shemor, which is all the restrictions on the work we do. Um, and then the prophets, meaning Yishayahu that we read above, added the idea of kavod, honoring Shabbat, and delight, oneg Shabbat, right? As we read in the Pasuk above, the Karat al Shabbat oneg, that we should call a Shabbat oneg, and we should honor it. So thinking about Shabbat candles is something that happens right beforehand. There's an interesting halakha um, discussion, which we're not going to delve into too much, but um, the Quran and others usually understand kavod as kind of the things that we do beforehand, um, to make sure that we have what we need in Shabbat, that we like to honor Shabbat by getting all our work done and setting ourselves up before Shabbat, to make sure that like we have what we need on Shabbat because we're, not, we're going to be restricted in what we can do. Um, and that's how we honor it. But then Oneg, we're going to see, is actually more the experience on Shabbat. How do we feel on Shabbat um, during that 25 hours? And how do we create that space and time? Um, that Heschel and Isaiah and Chazal is speaking. Feel free to put questions in the chat as, uh, as we're going. Okay, so now we're going to jump into the Rambam more. He's going to go into the What does it mean? Okay, and this goes straight to what some of you have mentioned already, right? That our sages, the rabbi said, you have to make some really delicious food for Shabbat and a really good drink, like maybe something that you wouldn't have something really, really special that you're super excited to have, right? But again, all of this has to be done within the context of a person's financial status. Um, so on the one hand, if you have what to spend, spend it, Shabbat's the time, indulge on Shabbat. If you're gonna have a nice dinner, it's not on your Wednesday night. If you're gonna have some nice cocktails, right? It's not like, you know, your Tuesday night after work. No, the Rambam says, right, that's Friday night. Save like that really special drink that you're really excited about. Right? Save it for Shabbat. Right? It's that focused on Shabbat. But if it's not within your means, right, 
even if you just like make a simple stew, right? We think of like many of the simple stews that many cultures have um, on Shabbat. That's part of a practical reason, right? But you can't cook on Shabbat, but also because it's taking very simple ingredients and you can take very simple ingredients and cook them together for a really long time and it's going to smell delicious. And you're going to like wake up to it and feel really good on Shabbat morning, even if you don't have um, that much money, you're going to feel special. Okay. Um, it's considered to be one, right? And this comes, this is brought by a number of other esteem, um, we're going to see this um, idea further, the subjective nature, um, that one is not obligated to strain oneself or borrow in order to prepare more food for Shabbat. Um, now, this is not only like good um, fiscal advice that the Ramam is giving, but I think it's also part of setting up on a Shabbat, right? If, if and you know, we hear often um, having very big meals or having certain kinds of food, um, right, can feel quite a burden and can, right? And to think about, I'm saying, how can Shabbat be a time that you can enjoy it and enjoy it within your means and not have the fact that you're enjoying it, right? The YOLO feeling, you feel like, oh, you only one, so I'm gonna like this week, five, really, right? That's not really what Shabbat is because then you're gonna feel really stressed, right? You're gonna look at all what you spent and as you eat it, you're gonna feel like really, really strained that you know that this was a little bit of a reach for you financially. Um, and that will certainly um, impact you um, as well, how you're feeling. Let me just see, I see note from chat. Um, ah. So we're not gonna get into um, the carrots, um, and not having a candle burned um, in your house. There are many actually current really interesting writers uh, um, who, who write um, about carrot um, loss. I'm happy to want to reach out privately to send to you, but they would not necessarily like um, Shabbat candles. Yeah, it's a rabbinic idea. Um, there's also separately an idea of not having a light burning in your house um, on Shabbat. And also the same thing of like having food heating up um, during Shabbat. Um, oneg is drabanan. So let's just review. Um, we'll just go back for a second. Um, that the, the two things were in the Torah, we look here, right? Two are on a Torah level. So remember and observe are on a Torah level, right? So to say Kiddush, to say Havdalah, the 39 restrictive work, the 39 prohibited activities, those are all on a Torah level. Now, Kamod and Oneg are things that maybe it's appropriate for Shabbat to have, but are completely constructs that Chazal develops out of those verses in Yishayahu and what they think Shabbat should look like. And so that's sort of what we're delving into now, right? Besides just assisting from work and having a holy day um, because God rested, right? what is that experience supposed to look like every week? Um, and Oneg seems to be a very important part of it. And so the Rambam is helping to lay us out for it here, but it is a rabbinic law. Right, so now we have enjoying good food, but not beyond our means. Okay, what about, and this, now we're in eight. This to me feels very relevant for today. Um, um, I think according to the Rambam, many of us probably, um, right, many people today would be in this category more than um, in, right, with the affordability of certain um, things. Um, that somebody who's indulgent or maybe somebody like eats steak three times a week, right? Um, maybe they have a nice glass of wine every night. So then how does Shabbat feel special, right? Um, and I think there are many, there are many areas of halakha that are sort of like this, right? If there's, um, but if there's, if there's something that we kind of live this way all the time, how do we make sure that Shabbat feels special? Um, I could see in here maybe a little veiled um, critique of the Ramadan. So we're saying like, 
balance your life a little bit in a way, right? Like Shabbat's the special day. Yes, enjoy your life, but maybe, you know, have your priorities, right? Shabbat is the time for Oni. Um, but then what should one do? And this comes from the Talmud as well, that you should just eat different foods, right? It should always be something different. Shabbat needs to be set apart. And if you can't change what you eat for it or even at least, and again, this from the Talmud and the Torah brings this as well, just eat at a different time. That Shabbat needs to be different than the regular week. Now, is that oneg per se? But it definitely needs to be different. Is changing up our schedule more likely? Right? What does that do for us to change up our schedule? Right? Whether it seems like it needs to be different than the rest of the week. Is that part of owning? Is that part of making a pleasurable? Um, right, so eat at a different time. And then the Rambam adds, and a person is obligated to eat three meals on Shabbat, one in the evening, one in the morning, one in the afternoon. And that's the way in which Shabbat is also special is that we have Sudash Lashit. There's a third meal in the afternoon when people don't usually, right, not only not eat a big lunch, but like certainly don't then in the afternoon, right, have another giant feast, right? Depending on what time of year also, um, this can be challenging. Um, and one should be extremely careful not to eat any less, right? Even a poor person who gets charity, at least have these three meals, meaning maybe have each meal be more modern, um, but make sure that you sort of feel Shabbat is indulgent. Like, oh, now I'm having a really special afternoon. No. But we think about, um, I know people just, I've never been on a Pesach program in my life, um, but I can just say in terms of like when people go on not, any kind of program, people want to cruise, people go somewhere um, that they're going to be like treated and indulged. Often a big part of that is sort of like having a nice thing available for you in the late afternoon, right? Because you don't have to work and you're just sort of in your relaxed mode. And this helps remind you like, oh, I can just like have a really nice sit down in the middle of the afternoon when I normally would not be able to do that. I'd be running around doing things. And it just reminds you to like sit down and enjoy, right? But again, he says, a person who's sick from overeating, right? This is not about, right? Um, on the one hand, there's the balance of having the three meals. But now we see the subjective part. It, if somebody feels like, oh, like this is too much food. Or like eating this much food is actually like makes me sick. Or like it's just not, doesn't make me feel good. Like, and it's how, like, Chazal asking me to make myself feel not physically good um, to enjoy Shabbat. Right? And so it's very clear that that's not actually part of it, right? That it's very, very subjective. Ah, okay, so right, singing and spending time um, with family and friends, right? So we'll get to the family and friends part, but that's certainly a very important part for some people. And we'll think in the subjectivity that maybe um, for others, right, that might not be as uh, enjoyable, that maybe a more quiet Shabbat um, might be more enjoyable, right? But it's sort of like, as we're seeing from some of these sources, um, the lighting candles and making sure you have what you need, setting up your times is like setting yourself up for that success. Like what is going to give me that experience? And it seems like it's very, there's some criteria, but there's also a lot of subjectivity, right? How am I going to, knowing that I might have these 39 prohibited to be then I can't actually cook and I can't actually go buy what I need. I can't actually make that phone call um, on Shabbat necessarily. Um, how can I set myself up? And I just want to pause for a second here and I'll mention this again later. Um, that um, dealing with, right, we're gonna think more about like the complexity of human beings and the subjectivity here, right? And um, that there are certainly times, right, when it would be warranted, we're gonna see in some of the later sources, but that's not the focus of this class. But there would certainly be times um, that one would um, need to break Shabbat right, for a variety 
um, of reasons for a variety of needs. And we'll discuss more of that. Um, then he writes that eating meat and drinking wine is a form of pleasure as long as it's within their financial capacity. And again, we can already see that this is also something that can be quite subjective, right? A person who is used to eating quite simple foods, um, the Shekhan Aruch and others bring this as well, um, that it's not, right, if you're used to eating simple foods and like rich foods don't make you feel very good, then that's not the point of Shabbat, right? You don't, it's not like pushing yourself to enjoy it because that's what's enjoyable. Um, but that it has to actually be something that you individually really look forward to and it's going to make you feel um, good. Um, we're going to bracket 12 for a second um, in terms of the things that we desist from. Um, and then he adds, um, that also sexual relations are considered a dimension of Shabbat pleasure. Um, that it's discussed in the Mishnah and Ra that in the Gemara that maybe Friday night is a time that Torah scholars would set aside. There's a mitzvah ona um, of setting aside time for marital intimacy, and that maybe Friday night is that time. We have many Kabbalistic sources about this, many sources about this. Um, and again, it's permitted to engage in sexual relations on first for the first time on Shabbat. Um, this is a big discussion in the in the Gemara. Um, but whatever tsar or pain, we're going to think more about um, pain or distress in a moment. Whatever distress here is not is not a significant distress, meaning it's something that the person actually, hopefully, right, by getting married, looks forward to and is enjoying. And sort of like it's a momentary distress, um, but it's not a distress that then requires one to like step away from it. Um, we're going to think more about um, avoiding distress in a moment. Um, but we see here from the Rambam um, the idea of an ishkana discusses many of these as well. On the one hand, um, engaging in things that make us physically feel good. We're gonna to get to more of the emotional pieces um, in, as well. Um, but also that there's a subjective emotional piece to it, right? That different people feel different ways about um, their schedules, about food, um, about what they wanna have. Um, and that that's something that we should really um, think about, um, that that's part of it. Right? We're gonna think about the subjectivity even more. Trying to make sure I'm reading the questions in the chat. Ah, right. So I see here um, a friend is always careful to cut from the middle of the loaf of challah on Shabbat. Um, they don't need to worry about their bread going stale too quickly. I love that. Right. It's sort of like those little things of those little practices of indulgence that the person can eat as much as they want, whereas during the week they might eat from only one end of the other. Right. It's like that's beautiful. Um, right. Shabbat creates the space for different types of experiences. Um, and each Shabbat can bring a different type of owner depending what's happening in life, right? That's really beautiful as well, right? That from week to week, Shabbat might feel, um, might need to feel very different because of what's going on in our life, but also what we might need for that particular Shabbat um, to be restorative, um, to feel pleasure, to feel connected with ourselves and connected with God it might be very different from one week to the next, um, depending on what's going on for us. So now we'll go back to 12, in the Rambam and also jump into this idea a little bit more. Um, the idea of the things that we should maybe desist from. We're not getting into the many of the intashiv of doing business, right? The, the um, detailed rabbinic halachot, um, but there is an idea of sort of trying to avoid sa'ar, or distress, which as we understand is actually humanly impossible, right? There's first of all, only a certain amount of things under our control. Um, number one. And number two, right, all of us are in different circumstances in life and there's things going on for us, right, that might um, right, put us in a state of, of distress and that might require things of us. Um, 
That being said, with that caveat, we'll read it's forbidden to fast um, or cry out to God or offer supplication um, or ask for Now, this is sort of understood on um, a communal sense. We'll see that right for individuals, how does this play out? Um, we're now going to jump to source four from the Sefer Hasidim. So this is from 12th century German, Germany. Um, important to note that this is written by um, the Ashkenazi pietists. The Ashkenazi pietists, many of you might be familiar, but just in case, um, those are not the same as the Hasidim of the 17th, 18th up until today. Um, these are rather um, an earlier movement of pietists who are quite ascetic um, and mystical. Right? So their ideas um, are presented in somewhat in Sefer Hasidim. Um, on Shabbat, on Shabbat, one should not speak of their loved ones who died or in pain so they not become distressed. And that is an extremely um, stark statement, right? We're then going to dial it back a little bit. Right? But to, um, to sort of um, create an atmosphere where we maybe don't talk about things that are going to put us in a funk. Now, again, we're going to unpack this a little bit more. Um, it's also forbidden to speak of idol matters on Shabbat, right? Maybe we just don't like speak nonsense. Like maybe, as some of you said, reflective. Like you don't need to fill up just because there's no, right, they didn't have technology that far, but just because we don't have our usual business affairs and we can't like do our usual things that we usually do, it doesn't mean we need to fill up the space with things that don't matter, right? Just to fill it up. Um, and I, I do sometimes have that feeling on Shabbat, especially on these long um, summer Shabbatot, um, that it sort of requires of us to think about like, oh, right? That's part of the kavod to create the own. Like, like, how are we preparing so that it is something, right? Um, that we don't feel like we just have to fill up the space because um, that need is definitely there. Right? So this is clearly an extreme, again, extreme presentation that the Sefer Chassidim is bringing here, this extreme story of our Rabbi Ishmael. Um, who right, barely even spoke on Shabbat and was like silent on Shabbat. And maybe for a particular person, having a silent retreat every once in a while might be, right, um, it might be oneg for them. Um, but there's also a sense here as we read this, right, on the story of, uh, of Rabbi Ishmael, right, that right, this is not necessarily oneg for his mother, right, or the people around him, right? So like meaning we live, as I mentioned, in community, in family, in community, um, that how are we creating a space of oneg that like my oneg, and we're gonna delve into this even further very soon, that my oneg is not something um, that like is so austere, you know, like I need to have this and I need to have that. Otherwise it's not Shabbat. Um, that often puts pressure on us as the Rambam noticed, and it really puts pressure on other people around us, um, right? So how, right, how do we um, have some of that sensitivity in creating oneg and thinking about those around us? Um, I put here because it's a very um, well-known story, and I just want to share a personal anecdote. But again, it's a very extreme story. And the story of Rabbi Shmuel and the story here of Guria, I don't think are meant to be brought as halachic um, sources in terms of um, in terms of how one must act in these situations. Right? They're meant to bring sort of a very extreme um, that well, to one right, very extreme presentation. Um, of this idea that we almost automatically sort of push back against. Um, so it was a story about Rabbi Meir, um, who was sitting and learning on Shabbat, 
Um, and his two sons died and he didn't know. And what did Berea do? She hid it from him. She, she covered their faces and waited until the end of Shabbat. Right? He came back, he said, where are my sons? And she sort of broke the news to him very gently um, until after he said Havdalah. And then she again still broke the news to him very gently. Um, and then after he ate, and he ate a little something, um, okay, then um, she finally tells it to him in a parable. Part of this story is about not sharing bad news on Shabbat. Part of this for another class would be how Bria is right, breaking bad news to him in a way that feels very gentle and appropriate to her, right? very shocking and surprising news to make sure that he was settled and ate something um, so he would not have an extreme reaction. Um, um, but it's often thought about in this idea of not talking about things that are going to make one uh, or sharing bad news for the first time in Shabbat. Um, now, this is certainly not something that is um, always possible, right? And I think that's one of the really um, poignant pieces of the story and also of many of these sources is um, that so much of um, our emotional state, like what is in our control um, and what is not in our control. Um, and again, we're speaking here of emotional states, and I want to distinguish that between um, right psychology. I know there's been um, a lot written in recent years, and even classes, right, you sort of probably Rosen Rosenzweig about um, right various mental health challenges. Um, and I want to be clear that right we're talking about um, emotional states here, but also that these overlap with each other. Um, what is in our control and what's not in our control, um, and how can we sort of protect? others and use Shabbat at the time that were maybe even more sensitive to that. Um, some people take this to a very big extreme, um, right? And so these are these are sources that help us think about sort of where do we where do we fit on the spectrum and also understanding those practices that we might have heard from others. Um, and certain things that we don't say as a community on Shabbat, but certain things that we do. Um, now I want to share just um, uh, a little um, a personal anecdote when I read this story and I knew the story before this happened. Um, as uh, as Lillian has mentioned, I worked in a community for a number of years. And one Shabbat morning, I used, my own Shabbat actually was before anybody got to show, like two hours before she was started. Um, I would like quietly go um, where I was like all fully dressed for Shabbat. And I would like get a little coffee that was made the day before. And I would like get a book from the library. And I would like sit there for like an hour, half an hour or something and read. And if I was giving a drash, I would like mentally prepare for that. And then I would go home, break it in family, come back to show. And so that was like part of my own Shabbat. Um, I had to take that little time out in the morning when it was quiet. And one Shabbat morning, very early, I got to the steps of the shul and there was a member who was sitting there and they looked really distressed. Um, and I said, this is right, they just they have a dog. Maybe they're just taking their dog for a walk and I just happened to be there, but I could tell something was off. Um, and unfortunately, their significant other had a very severe heart attack the night before um, and was in the ICU. Um, so, and this person felt was sort of wandering waiting to come steps of the shul. I'm not wanting to knock on my door or the rabbi's door to sort of ruin our Shabbat to let us know this, but also knowing that like they needed to talk to someone and also we needed to know this. Um, so first I spoke with them, offered them to come, they were going to the hospital. And then I had the unenviable job of walking down the block. And then um, we were very close with this person of knocking on the rabbi's door and sort of like hearing the Shabbat happening in the background on Shabbat morning and sort of like disturbing that Shabbat. Now this bad news would have been horrible, devastating news at any time. But there's something about the fact that it was Shabbat morning and sharing this news at a time that you feel like you want to create a bubble, but we can't, right? Our world is not a bubble and we can't create the bubble. And that's sort of the interface where some of these sources live. Right? How do we, on the one hand, um, create a bubble, but also understand 
um, that life our lives are much more complex than that. And then this is something that we clearly kept from others throughout the whole day. Okay, both for it to protect their privacy, but also because it wasn't something that was ready. Right? There, was, there was nothing that was going to help by people knowing. Um, so, and it was just like we waited until it was an appropriate time to share it. Um, and so I got a little taste of, um, unfortunately, um, in this tragic circumstance, right, the feeling of this sort. So like, when are we sensitive to, um, would it have been helpful to talk with you guys perhaps? But in this way, it felt like it was important to, um, to keep Shabbat, Shabbat, and then when Shabbat was over, um, we, we shared more fully. Um, to balance all of this, we'll see the Shulchan Aruch um, source next, right? Um, this is talking about thinking about both our business, but thinking about things that are like on our mind, right? Shabbat is a big time, <laughs> time um, to think about things that are on my, our minds without actually being able to do much about it. Um, it's appropriate. Now, this is the difference between thinking about things versus engaging it. Yes, we don't do business on Shabbat, but we can think about our business. If we want to think about work, that's something that we can do. In any event, due to Onik Shabbat, it's a mitzvah, maybe to not think about it, right? That's about it. It's like, but we don't think about anything you have to do during the week on Shabbat, but it's a goal, right? What does that do for us? Because, and I love the way the Shabbat are put this year, we know we're going to have a lot to do when Shabbat is over, but that we should actually just for a moment feel like we're done. We did what we could do for the week. We're stepping back. And like, at this moment, nobody needs anything from me. At this moment, I don't need to do anything. So that's one reading. If you love other reading of the Shabbat Aruch, um, that's, that's a reading that I offer of the Shabbat Aruch here. Um, right, that it's not so much about um, uh, restricting our thoughts or like flipping a switch on and off, which is quite hard to do, um, but sort of retraining our brain to see like, yeah, of course there's going to be things to do. Right? Of course we have things in our mind, um, but maybe the Shabbat is a time that we just sort of say like, like, I feel, let's reflect on what we have accomplished up until now. Right? How far have we come? What have we accomplished? How can we sit with that for a moment before we have to jump into the next thing? Um, and how that can make us feel more settled and in some sense contented. Um, and this note here in the end um, also helps balance the idea of right sharing bad news or be engaging in its sad circumstances because it, things happen no matter what day of the week it is. But there's an idea of um, not doing, we, we don't bury on Shabbat these days, um, but not to get someone to do eulogy. But if a sick person feels that the end is close, meaning literally the world weighs heavy, meaning they, they, they need their loved ones around them at Shabbat and they need the, whoever they need to talk to, they need to talk to them now because they're worried that maybe they're not going to be there. It's certainly permitted to get their loved ones on Shabbat. Now this would seem quite Right, obvious pastorally, but it's really important to see that the Shukhan Aruch and other sources noting this, um, right, that um, that this is something that gives that person peace of mind. And in fact, maybe the person who's being called, of course, be sad to have been called there, but also imagine if they had not been called and it did not have that opportunity um, to hear those words or to spend those last moments, right, would not have the same peace of mind. We're going to talk about peace of mind in a few weeks. Um, but this, this um, goes into the idea of peace of mind. Um, 
There's a couple of more sources that we're going to get a better idea of what goes on in our head. Now, it's really, um, I think, fascinating that there's so much discussion. Again, because it's obvious that what's in our heads is permitted, right? You're not doing anything. You're not even saying, we didn't delve into too much debate about We're not even like saying actionable things um, or maybe talking about things, um, but really just reflecting, right? And the amount of um, ink that is spread on um, what we choose to think about, right? Um, which I think lends to sort of a mindfulness of Shabbat, like how do we sort of train our brains on Shabbat in a certain way, right? So it's a mitzvah, that all the more so, if there's reflection, right, they're going to become to feel very worried and upset. So one should sort of see, um, keep themselves in check. Now, again, giving the caveat, right, that everybody has um, different things going on in life. Everybody has um, different mental health needs and challenges, right? So this um, is not necessarily what Mishnah Burah is talking about here, right? Um, and so that's an important thing to know. Um, the Shekhan um, right, that those individuals might need other things on Shabbat to help them feel on Shabbat or help them feel um, what they need to feel on Shabbat or just be safe on Shabbat. Um, the Kafa Chaim um, writes here, that reflecting on one's business is permitted. Um, if from the reflection one will be drawn to feel troubled, it's forbidden, right? Um, the rabbis only permitted reflection that will not lead to troubling feelings and nagging worry. But it's almost that like these sources sort of know that it's impossible as human beings not to go to a place of anxiety, right? That's sort of where our brains go um, when we start to think about. Um, and it's also very natural that um, when you actually are not going to necessarily be able to do anything about it, it stays in your head and the anxiety can actually grow even bigger, right? Um, if Shabbat for you means that you're not going to actually do work or um, do the thing that, like the errands, whatever it is that's on your list of things to do, um, is only to think about it. And you actually can't cross it off your list, right? So there's sort of a sense here of like how to keep that in check because all there is to do is get more worried and anxious about all the things that you have to do once you start thinking about it. And how do we have to create an atmosphere like that? Um, right? So Lavush says here that the Kathleen goes, so one should not trouble oneself and come to Nelefe on a Shabbat. But now this is really important. This is again, another caveat of the subjectivity. What if it's enjoyable? What if I really like my job? What if I'm thinking about like all the new ventures I'm gonna start the next week? Or like this new chapter in my book didn't work. Like I sometimes get really great ideas on Shabbat and then I can't write them down and then it's very frustrating. But like the idea of stepping back, Shabbat is like a fertile time right? where we can sort of like be with ourselves and feel right more connected. Um, and that might help us right, think more strategically than we would during the week, right? Or if it's thinking about an exciting thing that's happening and we're making plans for that, right? Here he mentions a wedding, right? Even the re would say, okay, Yes, if it's something enjoyable, if it's something that gives you pleasure to think about it, okay, great. That's also God's affairs, meaning like, right, that's also, so um, if speaking is permitted, how much more so reflecting? And this is obvious, meaning if you're speaking about things that are not actually forbidden on Shabbat, then how much more thinking about them? So again, there's a subjectivity um, that's being that's being discussed here. Um um, there's one more source from the Shekhan Aruch here about the physical pleasures, and then we're going to jump into um, one of my favorite um, responses. 
Okay, so Chachamim says it's forbidden to fast, as we saw that the Rambam said, um, right? Even for the purpose of learning or praying, it's forbidden to fast. Like, what if it's your spiritual practice, right? During this time, there were we looked at the ascetics of the Chassidim Ashkenaz. There are people who are quite ascetic. That okay, maybe Shabbat think about connecting spiritually in a different way. Some say that a person who is harmed, the Shachamim says this straight out, person who is harmed by eating. Now, again, this is not um, meaning that they're not nourishing themselves at all. Um, but what if right, a person has to be on a very restricted diet where they can't eat late at night? Um, I've definitely had many Shabbat guests who like, they really ate very little at my Shabbat table. And they said beforehand, I actually feel really bad. I need to like, I'm on an eating schedule and I need to eat like at five o'clock or six o'clock. I can't eat at o'clock at night. I'll feel really bad. And I just want you to know that, but it's not because I'm not enjoying and I'm going to think about my own egg in a different way, right? My own egg will come. Food is not going to be the source of my own egg necessarily, um, right? They'll do the minimum if they need. Um, so then that person should not eat, but it's not about pushing yourself past something that's going to actually feel good for you. Um, and then the Ramah writes here so beautifully. Um, and so with one who finds own egg in weeping in order that their pain will leave their heart. Such a person is permitted to weep on Shabbat. And this is in the name of the Shabbat Rocket. That we are complex as human beings. And that if individuals, Shabbat is a cathartic space, if something's going on, then you're not supposed to be a robot. We're not robots, right? So the idea of you can't cry, you can't talk, you can't this, right? This sort of throws all of this on its head, right? That it's, we have to sort of know ourselves. Um, and if feeling really having the space to think through something and process something. And if Shabbat is the time that we have to do that, um, that maybe that's what's going to happen on Shabbat. Um, and it also takes away, I think, some of the um, this idea that Shabbat is a switch, right? That we can sort of switch, switch. And then also that we're all sort of like can be, right? Have like, a, it's not a toxic positivity of Shabbat necessarily. Um, right, that this is a very human, um, individual, and subjective experience. Um, but that there are some best practices that we saw from the Rambam and from the Shana and from others about how to create that environment. Okay. Um, leading to the subjective element we talked about, right, those who don't speak as much or who say, I need this or I need that on Shabbat. Um, this is um, when I learned this, um, this is a really good back pocket um, response to have. Um, this is from the Tremat Hadeshen from the 13th century. So the Tremat Hadeshen um, wrote responsa, which usually means you get a question from somebody. Um, sometimes it's a quite detailed question. Um, and then they answer that question. The way the Tremat Hadeshen wrote was one responsa, question responsa for every day of the week, but it was not an exact question from an exact person that he got, sort of a composite idea of a question that he wanted to answer. <laughs> so that he could write the answer that he felt like people needed to hear that he needed to put out, um, if that makes sense. So the question that he wrote, somebody said, theoretically, that which is customary for people, even those circumspect about their actions, meaning holy, like people, they're going to show Friday night, right? They care about halakha. They're good, holy people. What do they do? When shul lets out, it could be Shemat night, it could be at the Kiddush, I don't know what they had in the Kiddush time, they start talking about politics. Did you read about this? Did you hear about this? Did you see about this? Wars. Okay. Is this an Esau or not? Now, clearly, what does this person want the Tremata Deshen to say? Or what does Tremata Deshen want to say? When you say it like that, I mean, 
Yeah, like you can talk about that on Shabbat, but why? Right? So clearly the question, the way the question is formed is like, somebody's like, this is not so, like, this does not feel like Shabbat, and this does not make me feel like a Shabbat when this is happening. Okay, so, but again, we're going to see it's very subjective. So the response, Lady writes, um, one needs to be very careful about this. As the Tosafot and the Rush write that it's forbidden to increase idle chatter on Shabbat. But we saw that story of Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai that made me, first of all, feeling the need to fill in Shabbat with nonsense just for the sake of filling in the space. Right? Again, you shouldn't have a, right? Rabbi Shimon Bar was extreme. But maybe there's also an idea of just thinking before, if we're going to think before we talk as human beings and as Jews, right? Maybe Shabbat's a time that we like even think more the impact of what we say on the people around us. Twice before you say anything on Shabbat, if you don't do it during the meeting. Okay. Right. So he brings that story. Okay. Um, so maybe like it's not the time for idle gossip and chat. Um, nevertheless, right, if those individuals enjoy this, when they speak, right, there's a reason they're doing this, right? They also want Shabbat to be relaxing. They're not trying to be stressed out by doing this. Why are they standing around outside of Shul at the Kiddush, at the Shabbat table, talking about this? So maybe it's the film space, maybe because it's really worried about them, but it sort of seems like there's an enjoyment that they're getting about this, right? You sort of crave it. Like there's a human need to have these conversations and like Shabbat gives them the time and the space and the social nature of Shabbat to do this. So for those people, Mutar, for sure, it's permissible for those people. If that's their own egg Shabbat. Similarly, the Smak, the Sefer Mitzvah writes, that um, for young men enjoy running and jumping, it's permitted. Meaning there was an idea we looked at in Tashiv Raglecha, the, I'm not gonna get into any sports on Shabbat, but that's a separate class. But the idea that maybe our, should be more refined on Shabbat, we should like, carry ourselves differently. Okay, but maybe like people who have a lot of energy, like will not feel so good if they sit around doing nothing all day, right? So like maybe they need to get their energy out and like that's their own egg. Right, going for a nice long walk or going, right, that's their own egg. So we see that even though Chazal said you should have kavod, right, from doing your, right, this seems like a very, um, right, I need to live politics, I need to take a walk. Like, that seems like very much about me and not so much about God. Right? So even though that's the way it seems, um, whether you're walking on Shabbat, you not feel like you're walking on weekdays, not to run or jump, even so, if one does it for enjoyment and to their heart's desire, it is permitted. So it is with extraneous speech, speech, meaning if you love to sit around with one friend or with a group of people and just like talk about anything and just like that feels really nice and good and you have a space to do it on Shabbat, go for it. That's what Shabbat is for. That is your own Shabbat. That feels good. And don't feel like you're being judged by right these other sources that said like, right, Shabbat is right. This is what own Shabbat is. Um, but this is the, I love this part at the end. It says, Omnam, very easy. Especially maybe like the questioner themselves, right? Maybe the questioner, right? To run a judgment gets the questioner. But we see that these people, some aren't really enjoying the conversation too much, right? They don't like the tone, but like you can't stop it because this is where everybody, clearly other people really want to talk about this, right? They're not going to stop, right? They really want to do it. They're only sort of doing it because the other people are going to like feel good, right? So the 13th century is like, 
thinking about these like social dynamics, right? Of what happens when people get together, right? So maybe the people who like are leading the conversation or keeping the conversation going should like read the room a little bit and like see, oh, is everybody like, is this okay for everyone to talk about like politics, talk about the news? Like, does everyone agree with me? Even they don't agree with me, like, is this what they want their Shabbat to be? Like maybe that doesn't mean they want to go, but that's not what they think of Shabbat. Um, right. The Shachan Aruch, um, the Ramah brings the Shemat Hadeshen um, into Halacha and says that if one shares rumors and news items and it's Oneg for him, just like on the weekday, yes, it's totally permitted. But if it does, but if it doesn't bring you joy, no, like it's like people who are trained to talk about sports when they come into work on Monday or whatever, so that they'll like make connections at work. Right? Like, don't Shabbat is not a time to like push yourself, but right? you don't need to just go along with it. Like, you can say, This is Shabbat. Like, my Shabbat, I don't want to talk about this. I don't want to talk about this. Right? Okay. Um, I don't have to say, Oh, I know you love talking about it, so I'm going to humor you. Like, it's also your Shabbat. And you should say, like, I'm not really enjoying this. Like, this doesn't feel very good. Like, let's change the topic, or I'm just going to like step away. You're like, No, for the future, right? Um, when you're spending time with this person. Um, we're going to look at the Teresa Hav in the last few minutes, um, right, who brings the Shemat Hadesha, this is a commentary on the Shemat Aruch, and says that it seems um, that his intention is that those who are relating the rumors and rumors have absolutely no desire to do so, and only intend to fulfill their friend's desire there's a concern for a prohibition. But, and we've all been there, where we sort of go along with what's going on, right, social pressure, um, but actually, like, that's just like, that was not an enjoyable Shabbat or holiday, like, experience for me. Like, that was not what I wanted at my, right, Shabbat. Um, and how do we be more protective of that? Um, but if they intend for their friend, Todd sort of disagrees and says, but you know what? If it doesn't, like, upset me too much, and, like, I want my friend to enjoy it, then there's no concern. Because I know that they really enjoyed it. And so, okay, so I had a 15-minute conversation that I didn't love. Meaning there's a balance here, right? It's meant how much distress you have, right? And how much joy, right, the other person is getting met. And then it's permitted. Um, but the extreme, I think, um, sensitivity here to human nature and to social, like sort of creating social dynamics is very interesting. Um, I think anyone who's ever had a Shabbat meal, hosted a Shabbat meal, or sort of like created a communal experience, um, not only the sources about the food and being sensitive to like what is actually on it for people, um, right? That this might, different people might feel good about different schedules and different, right? Talking about different things in Shabbat, um, but also in terms of like creating these spaces where it's okay, um, right? To um, sort of pull this out of your back pocket and say like, it's actually Shabbat. Like, this is not something like I enjoy talking about on Shabbat. Right? And a way to say that, if there's a way to say that it doesn't feel judgy in the moment um, that everybody else feels judged, and um, right, this sort of encourages people um, to do that. Um, I know one couple that hosted many, many, many people over the years for Shabbat, um, and they would have this like, it was a little bit of like a shtick, but um, because they hosted so many different types of people, um, they sort of had this, right, knowing of the Shabbat tradition or not, it's sort of self-evident to them that like not everybody, right, politics can get dicey, and that like it's gonna maybe create division and people are not, some, some people are gonna walk away not feeling good, whether they say it or not. Um, and that's not really what Shabbat is about and only Shabbat is about. Um, so they would have a role of uh, politics that you could sort of like call politics and calling politics could also be like something you really don't feel like talking about. Like, 
go like see people for so much about you. I haven't seen them start asking me about your work or what you're doing in life. And I'm like, that's not really what I want to be talking about on Shabbat, right? <laughs> like it doesn't feel very good. Um, and these sources remind us of like having that sensitivity as part of owning Shabbat, right? Being emotionally sensitive, right? And having some emotional intelligence of other people's needs um, and what our needs are. Um, I want to close. Um, we didn't get, which was not the intention of this class, right? Thinking about Sa'ar and all the dispensations for those who are feeling Sa'ar and Shabbat. So again, I want to just make that caveat. Um, again, we focused on Oneg because of right, the time restrictions also because that was the focus of this class, but that there is much written about um, those who feel distress on Shabbat, either emotional, psychological, or physical, and there's much dispensation in Halakha as well. Um, and that folks should not hesitate to reach out um, to ask if they have questions about that. Um, there is a, a, a really um, wonderful, I'll share the link um, in the chat um, of the translation. Um, just to think about the subjectivity of this and the questions that are asked, um, if people want to look at it on their own. Um, there is a question, Ravadi was not the first to ask us, but there's a question of, um, is it fitting or appropriate for a Torah scholar um, to engage in like really deep, like Gemara, like back and forth study, like debating, like breaking their head kind of study on Shabbat, right? Like they do during the week. Or actually, is that not what Shabbat is for? Because that's not Onik Shabbat, right? That's like tiring and breaking your head and like, right? Two in the weeds. Um, and maybe in Shabbat, it's more appropriate to learn beautiful, inspiring Torah, right? And that that's what Onik Shabbat is. It's, it's really interesting. Um, do think like across the board, Torah is Torah, right? Um, so the fact that this question is even asked and discussed, I think goes to um, the level of what, um, how careful we are about thinking about creating um, a, an atmosphere of Oneg on Shabbat. Um, and that it's not necessarily obvious what that means to each individual person, right? And that takes thought um, and planning. Um, I wanna close with the words um, from Shabbat morning Amida. Um, that God, we should rejoice in your sovereignty, those who observe Shabbat and call it a delight. And may the nation who sanctify the seventh day all be satisfied, right, be contented, and be delight, delight in your goodness. Um, right, that in the end, it's aspirational. That the Shabbat is an aspirational um, day. And that we're not putting pressure on ourselves to feel good now, right? Or to like, right, enjoy it, right? That this is something um, that we work at and that each Shabbat, um, it might be a little different. And if you really think about during the week as we go into Shabbat, you know, um, like what's going to help me feel connected to Shabbat? What is going to help me feel connected to God? What is going to help me feel that Shabbat atmosphere that we spoke about in the beginning? Um, to be able to really delight in Shabbat. The Shabbat shouldn't feel a time of, only don't, right, but how can we sort of lean into the human elements of Shabbat, and I think that's really what Onik Shabbat is all about, and for each individual, um, that might be something very different, um, and by doing so, then hopefully Shabbat will feel like not like dreading every week Shabbat, and the demands and the restrictions of Shabbat, but how actually Shabbat can be something that we also um, learn to cherish and enjoy, um, so it was really great learning with you. Um, don't hesitate to reach out if you have any questions or comments on any of the things, um, any of the things that we shared. I'm going to put the um, link in the chat to the other teshuvah that I mentioned of Rabbi Yosef. 
Um, but everyone, hopefully, should have a wonderful week, a Shabbat Hope, and hopefully that our learning will enhance your, uh, your Shabbat this week. Next week, we're going to look at uh, that concept of simcha, of joy, um, in doing mitzvot um, and mitzvot, mitzvot to be happy. Have a good evening, everybody. Take care. Thank you so much, Rabbi Victoria. That's like transformed my understanding of Onyx Shabbat. I'm, I'm very ex I'm excited for Shabbat next week. Um, just to remind everyone that this is the first of five sessions. So to continue learning about Simcha, join us at the same time next week on Sunday. And if you want to join any of the other fantastic Jusha classes that are starting this week or in a few weeks, you can find them all and register at jusha.org. Thank you. Thank you. Have a good night.